Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. In today's YouTube video on the micro-controversies in the Kennedy assassination, I want to talk about one of the most interesting of these controversies, the so-called backyard photographs. This is one of the mainstays of conspiracy theorists. They argue that when Lee Harvey Oswald had pictures taken of him on March 31st, 1963, by his wife Marina, holding the rifle and wearing the pistol on his belt, that somehow these photos were faked. And I want to go over the history of this and some of the reasons why this theory, like all the other conspiracy theories, falls apart when it's fully analyzed as it needs to be. So the issue is over whether or not the photographs were authentic that were taken on March 31st or whenever they were taken. In the photograph, Oswald is shown holding his rifle, wearing his pistol on his belt, and holding copies of The Worker and The Militant, both left-wing publications. Oswald was the one who said that these photos were faked. And in February 1964, Life magazine had a cover photo of one of the backyard photographs, which triggered many conspiracy theorists to argue that the photos were faked. And they argue this point from a number of different angles that we'll take a look at. As Robert Blakey, who was the chief counsel for the House Select Committee on Assassinations, pointed out, it's very important to pin down the authenticity of these photographs. As Blakey put it, if the backyard photographs are valid, they are highly incriminatory of Oswald, and they tend strongly to corroborate the basic story told by Marina Oswald. If they are invalid, how they were produced poses far-reaching questions in the area of conspiracy, for they evince a degree of technical sophistication that would almost necessarily raise the possibility that more than private parties conspired not only to kill the president, but to make Oswald a patsy. So wrote Robert Blakey in 1978. Let's examine the history of the backyard photographs and then take a look at some of the recent analyses of these photographs and the reasons why we can see immediately that they can't possibly have been faked. A total of three backyard photographs were found. In addition, a negative of one of the photographs was also found. The first discovery was on November 23, 1963, when a detective, Guy Rose, went out to Irving with a search warrant and searched Ruth Payne's garage and found a cardboard box with some photographs and various items within. He found that there were two prints of Oswald with the rifle and the pistol and each of them showed him in a slightly different pose. That very night, Will Fritz brought this photograph to the attention of Oswald. 
Oswald immediately said that it was a fake. Specifically, he claimed that somebody had superimposed his face on the body of a different person and that it was completely inauthentic. The problem for Oswald was that Marina has always been consistent in admitting that she took the backyard photographs. We know that Oswald received his rifle and his pistol sometime after March 20th, because the records show that these items were shipped to him on March the 20th. The radical publications he was holding in his hands were dated March 11th and March 24th. There is an excellent YouTube video that was released in September of this year, Why People Think This Photo of JFK's Killer is Fake. I have a link to this video in the description section for my video. It shows the errors that people who believe in conspiracies make when they analyze four specific allegations of the so-called backyard photographs. In other words, it examines the trees of this particular controversy rather than the forest. The four allegations are, one, that the shadow of Oswald's nose points in a conflicting direction from the shadow of the whole body in the picture, and that that is impossible. Two, that the upper part of Oswald's face has been overlaid on the face and above the jaw of a different man, who had a squared-off jaw rather than the angular jaw that we see in Oswald's booking photo. Therefore, it could not be Oswald in the picture. Three, that the rifle in the picture is too long in one photograph to match the assassination rifle and too short in another. And four, that Oswald's posture in the photo was unnatural and therefore proof of fakery. This video that I have linked by Vox, V-O-X, debunks each one, and I wholeheartedly agree with its conclusions. My video is supplementary to that video, looking at the forest of the question instead of the trees, and examining the context of the controversy in general, and attempting to show, holistically and heuristically, why even the theoretical possibility of a faking of the picture is precluded by the facts in the case. In other words, the Vox video answers four questions about the pictures, but cannot answer any new questions about them. But mine tries to lay the entire controversy, conceptually speaking, to rest. Feel free to watch that video first from Vox before this one, for the two are wholly consistent. Modern photographic technology is one source for our understanding of the authenticity of the backyard photographs. The two investigations, the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, agreed that there was no evidence of faking of the photographs. Photographic techniques were vastly improved by the 1970s, and rather than relying on one photo expert, as the Warren Commission did, the HSCA hired 22 of the leading photo analysts in the nation to scrutinize the photos on a total of 21 separate allegations of faking. Each unique allegation was disposed of by the panel, and 22 experts agreed that there was no faking in any of the cases. Photo scans of the trace patterns in the photographs using the latest such technologies in the 70s 
which would have shown distinct pattern shifts reflective of any alterations performed on them, revealed absolutely none. While Shaneyfelt had expressed confidence on the presence of the assassination rifle in the photo, based on the notch seen on the actual rifle and the rifle seen in the photographs, enhancements of the photos possible in the 1970s were able to match 56 marks seen on the physical rifle to representations now visible on the photo enhancements. The House Select Committee on Assassinations was thus able to go one better than the Warren Commission and declare that the rifle in the photo matched the assassination rifle to the exclusion of all other rifles, something you recall that Shaneyfelt could not say whether or not he was simply unable to or refused to do. In addition, the HSCA's handwriting expert confirmed that a signature on the back of the DeMoran-Schilt first-generation photo matched Oswald's handwriting. More recently, there has been an allegation that the posture of the body in the photographs is either not a natural human posture or impossible for any human being to sustain for more than a short period of time. This is the controversy that has been settled with the most recent advances in technology. The answer to this problem is also provided in the Vox video described earlier and linked in the description section for this video. As you can see from this article, a 3D stability analysis of Lee Harvey Oswald in the backyard photo, the technology that's used is increasingly more sophisticated. In this case, a 3D model is used to fit an anatomically plausible 3D model to Oswald in the backyard photo shown in figure one. This article only looks at one of the pictures, but it is only concerned with the question of whether Oswald's posture is unnatural and impossible for a human to sustain. There's a lot of discussion of the problem and a lot of computer modeling, as you can see in this image. Also, a lot of mathematics, as you can see here and here. So the technology is becoming increasingly sophisticated to reach the same conclusion reached by the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Namely, that the allegations of the photographs being faked cannot be supported by scientific evidence. In this case, you see the shadow outlined here, and you do not see the shadow under the nose outlined, but reproducing the time and circumstances and lighting that obtained on March 31st, 1963, has been done, and it has been determined that the shadowing is not unusual. A mock-up of Oswald's head, with his chin ending in a point, was made for this analysis when the exact same shading was applied to the photograph of the model, you end up with the same square jaw effect that we see with Oswald. As the Vox video points out, this square jaw effect is not a representation of what Oswald really looked like, but rather a consequence of the shadow obscuring the lowest part of his face that ended in more of an angle than we see here in this photograph. Just as here, the model with an angular jaw appears square-jawed, 
because of the shadow, which is exactly the same in both pictures. An analysis of the posture showed that with Oswald's feet placed where the model's feet was placed, a perfectly reasonable stance could be adopted in which a person could stand for any length of time and not be uncomfortable. So the conclusion is that although it has been argued that Oswald's pose in the photo appears physically implausible, our 3D model of Oswald and his surroundings provide further evidence refuting other claims of photo tampering. The lighting and shadows are physically consistent and the length of the rifle in Oswald's hands is consistent with the length of this type of rifle. Exactly the same as the conclusion in the Vox video and this article written by Sravamshi Patala, Emily Whiting, and Hani Farid, the expert used for the Vox video, confirms what both the Vox video and this video conclude, namely that we have one more piece of evidence that confirms that the backyard photo analyzed in this article was authentic. Although helpful to understanding the weaknesses of the allegations of fakery, and more than sufficient to do so, scientific testing turns out to be unnecessary in the end. A string of logical thought experiments are sufficient to expose the ludicrousness and utter impossibility of faking of these photos, given the context of what we know about their provenance and the timing and circumstances of their coming to light in history. Oswald had a logical reason for posing for the photographs and for doing so on or about March 31st. After waiting for months for his pistol, ordered in January, both it and the rifle arrived in his post office box the very same day, sometime after March 20th. Having visited the post office box day after day in disappointment since January, Oswald's excitement must have peaked. He had recently received the copy of The Militant, to which he subscribed, dated March the 11th, with his letter, News and Views from Dallas, signed L.H. That letter to the editor may have, in Oswald's mind, demonstrated his credentials as a political intellectual, but it could not show that he was a man ready for radical action, or ready for anything, as one writer put it. In answer to Marina's question on the spot why he would want such a photo taken, he told her that he planned to send the photograph to the militant, and in the 1990s, some former staff members of that newspaper confirmed that a backyard photograph of Oswald was received at the offices of the militant before the assassination disappearing thereafter. Oswald expected to be either killed or arrested in the attack on Walker, as he indicated in the note left for Marina on April 10th, the night of the attack. This expectation explains his otherwise cryptic comment to Marina that he wanted to leave Junie something for her to remember Papa by. This suggests that Oswald wanted to use any trial, if he survived, as a show trial, with the photo demonstrating a claim to action hero status in a cause he knew to be final, whether in terms of just his freedom or his life. This meant that the photograph had to be developed privately and quickly if it were to reach the offices of the militant before his April 10th attack. At the time the photos were taken, 
Oswald was working as a photo developer at Giles Stovall, where we know he also developed his own photograph for his fake Hedell ID. The Warren Commission calculated that Oswald developed the backyard photos the day after they were taken, a Monday, when he returned to work. We know that Giles Stovall allowed him to do nominal personal photo developing on occasion. It fits the timeline perfectly and also makes sense given Oswald's love of spy games and James Bond novels. What does not make sense is the alternative explanation. First, if the photos are not genuine, Marina either was lying in saying that she took the photographs, implicating her husband in the assassination for no reason, or she took the photos, in which case the alleged conspirators pointlessly created fake photographs that were duplicates of real photographs taken roughly at the same time by Marina. Remember that Marina and Marguerite destroyed one of the photographs, suggesting that she recognized it as one of the three that she admitted to taking. Or perhaps it was one of the faked ones that just looked like one of the real ones that she actually took. How would the conspirators have known that there was a real cardboard box of items in Ruth Payne's garage to place it into? When would they have performed this deed, and how? It would have had to have been performed before November 23rd, did they switch out Marina's real photographs for the fake ones? How did they know to include issues of the militant and the worker with the proper dates for these photos that Marina could have taken and include them just in case photo technologies a decade later could reveal them to be the proper chronological dates for a photo that was in reality not taken on March 31st, but was meant to merely appear to have been taken then the many impossibilities of the conspiracy claims only mushroom in number when one begins to tug on the string of implausibilities, or really impossibilities, necessary to make it all come true. But when one contextualizes the photos with the real history of Oswald's work experience, his sequential receipt of the newspapers, and the weapons, his plans for Walker, and what we know of the timeline of each of these events, it all falls easily and smoothly into place. But only if Marina took the photographs, just as she said she did. It is sometimes said that some interventions to this narrative could explain the implausibilities and magically make them sound to be reasonable. These interventions, however, come with a price, namely the price of having to accept pure fantasy without the saving grace of any evidence at all. Maybe Marina was forced by these sinister government agents to admit that she took the photos as the price to remain in the U.S. Surely the FBI could snap photos of the back of the Neely house while the Oswalds were in New Orleans and then superimpose an imposter's body and Oswald's head on the photos before November 23rd. Yet whatever theory you come up with to save the sinking ship of a conspiracy allegation over the photos, it has to be backed up by evidence that such a plot actually occurred. There has never been a shred provided. And even then, it has to explain the many discrepancies such plots would have to fit. For example, Marina, to this very day, 
still maintains that she took the photos, even though now her presence in the U.S. is safe, and even though she now believes Oswald was innocent. Why would the alleged conspirators have left a negative behind to better test the authenticity of the photo? Why would they send George de Morenshield a copy when they knew he was in Haiti and might never retrieve his belongings in Dallas? Why produce more than one picture and double or triple the number of fakes that would be available to challenge? Why did Oswald order a rifle under the Hidel alias that matched the one the conspirators faked in the photo? If they picked Oswald to be the assassin six months before the assassination, why did they send Oswald on a trip to Cuba a month before Kennedy visited Dallas? Or if Oswald went on his own, why did they not stop him? In March 1963, even Kennedy did not know he would visit Dallas in November. No one knew a motorcade would take place, and Oswald had no job along the route until Ruth Payne helped get him one in October. Or was Ruth Payne part of the conspiracy, too? Incredibly, some people think so, again without any evidence whatsoever. If we are to believe this tired allegation, the conspirators must have left plenty of clues of fakery visible to the naked eye, from shadows to chins, to lengths of a rifle, to the implausible posture of an imposter. But when technology still not invented showed these clues to be nonsense, we are now told it was all planned out that way ahead of time by the first perfect criminals in the history of the world who left their fakery undetectable for all time. Yeah, right. That's it for today's episode of AudiblySpeaking.com. New podcast episodes appear on AudiblySpeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening.